0: Well, today, church, I thought we'd unpack uh, something very interesting, and the question is, what's in the power of a name? What's in the power of a name, right? Uh, What does it even mean? So for me, my name is Jeff. My full name is actually Jeffrey, and I Googled all this. In the American, Jeffrey actually means God's peace. Uh, Now, I'm not sure if I've lived up to that potential. I mean, as a pastor, I hope I am. But maybe I'll check in a few years later with you to see if I'm actually doing that. Then there's also the uh, English meaning, not to be confused with the American meaning. Uh, My English meaning of Jeffrey actually means traveler. And I can tell you, I am not a traveler. In fact, I hate traveling. Uh, The most I'll travel is from my apartment to the pizza joint down the block. That's that's the extent I'll go. But my wife, my wife Erica, she loves to travel. So I've slowed her down quite a bit, as you can imagine, being married 11 years. But uh, thankfully, uh, we've traveled together. And so I'm moving into the potential of my namesake. And of course, finally, there's my Chinese name, which is significant in our culture. And that name actually means obedient. And I can tell you very clearly, church, I have most certainly not lived into that namesake, especially not for my parents. I was a child. I was a very bad kid, very bad. And so, they probably regretted naming that. But there's also another name that I go by that people don't actually know very well. My closest friends, my family even, the family members here this morning, uh, they call me by my last name, Trump. It's because when we were kids, we actually all grew up together. My wife, uh, my family, my brother-in-law, we were all very close nine-year-olds. And my brother-in-law's name is Jeff. The pastor of the church, my mentor, his name was Jeff. And so there were three Jeffs and we just had to figure out how we were going to figure out who we're calling at church. And so my brother-in-law got to keep his name, Jeff. I was called by my last name, Strong, and our pastor was known as PJ. And so one time, uh, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and so we didn't have cell phones, so if friends wanted to call, we'd call our, our houses, right? And so. My friend called my house, my brother picked up the phone, and my friend asked, hey, is Trong home? To which my brother says, I am Trong. And my friend's deeply confused, he's like, oh, no, no, I'm sorry, meant I'm looking for Jeff Trong. And he's like, oh, but you said Trong, that's me. And the crazy thing is, is because my friend and my brother don't have the same connection that I have with my friend. My brother just doesn't understand the relationship that I had with my friend with that name. Because in the name in itself, there's so much more than just what we use to address each other, right? Our names that we use are significant. Even if we share the same name with somebody, like another Jeff, that doesn't mean that person is you. You're unique. You're different. You're set apart. You're special. There is power. There is significance in a name. What about the name of Jesus? Like we just sang a bunch of songs, right? We believe this when we say, when we pray over each other, there is power in the name of Jesus, right? There is power in the name of Jesus, but church, do we know what that actually means, fully? Do we understand what we are actually confessing when we say that there is power in the name of Jesus? so church, I want to take a moment just to unpack what does the name of Jesus mean? Literally, what does it mean? Uh, we can find actually everything we need to know in the Bible. In Matthew chapter uh, 1, verse 21-25. It actually tells us everything we need to know about the name of Jesus. And this is a pretty well-known passage. We read this very often during Advent series going to Christmas. Uh, it's about the birth of Jesus. And so backstory: Joseph... Jesus' father, he wants to divorce Mary, Jesus' mom, because Mary is pregnant with Jesus out of their wedlock. And so as Joseph is playing this, an angel intervenes and tells Joseph, hey, I want to make sure you know that Mary didn't do anything wrong. She's actually conceiving this child through the Holy Spirit. And then he gives Joseph the honor of actually naming Jesus. This is what the passage says. It says, she will bear a son, And you shall call his name Jesus. And this is what his name means. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Now, looking at this verse, or this passage, I, I see a little problem here. I see two names for Jesus. And it makes me almost think, like, yo, did someone mess up? Like, did the angel give the wrong name to give to Joseph? Like, oops, right? Like, Because it says they're going to call him Emmanuel, but Joseph gives the name Jesus. Like, is God going to fire an angel today? Right? Like, did someone mess up? Thankfully not. No angels were fired in the making of the Bible. Right? In fact, it says... They will call him Emmanuel, meaning the people who experience the fullness of who Jesus is, versus those who simply just know the name of Jesus in itself. Those that actually fully walk into the potential of having the relationship with Jesus will not just know him as Jesus, they will actually call him Emmanuel, believing that it is God himself that spends time with us on earth, not just hanging out in heaven, because he desires to be close to his people. Right? I want us to hold on to that. We're going to revisit that at the very end of the sermon. Emmanuel, God that desires to be with his people. And then there's the name of Jesus itself. In all simplicity, just not to go into all the details, to just directly translate what Jesus means is the Lord saves. The Lord is salvation. And we get an understanding of a phrase that we also use in church very often from this definition. And it is, Jesus is our Lord and Savior right? We confess that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. And I believe, church, when we begin to understand this phrase, that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, when we begin to truly unpack the full definition of what that is, we begin to fully unlock the potential of what it means to be in the power and the name of Jesus. And it sounds good, doesn't it? But I wonder if it's that easy. Just thinking about the words Lord and Savior. Is there one part of this equation that's easier than the other, Lord and Savior? For myself, I I wonder, I believe Savior is much easier to accept. Uh, I I think of any superhero movie, Uh, in fact, there's been like hundreds since the past 10 years, Um, any superhero movie, any action movie that you've seen before, when there's someone in trouble, especially a civilian, the hero just automatically comes and rescues them, right? Like, there's no action required on the civilian's part. It just, it just happens. Like, the civilian doesn't have to apply. They don't have to wait online. They don't have to make a case for the hero to save them. It just happens. You just get rescued, right? That's the easy part. That's what we want. We want to be rescued. But then there's the Lord part. And that makes me a little bit uncomfortable, if I'm just honest with you, because when I think of the word Lord, I think of sort of inequity here, a little bit of an uneven, unequal relationship, right? Someone that has power and authority and someone who doesn't. And when those who have power and authority make demands, well, what are those without supposed to do? Sometimes we have to submit. I don't know about you, church, I hate to submit. Like, for example, in the rare occasion, I want to make sure to emphasize this, the ultra-rare occasion when I'm fighting with my wife and she's right and I'm wrong. Let me tell you, again, emphasize rare. In the case that she's right and I'm wrong and I have to admit that I'm wrong, I hate that. I mean, I don't have to admit, That she's right? if I want my marriage to work, I should. But it's not not a great feeling to do, is it? To swallow my pride. (laughs) But it's necessary. It's necessary. Jesus as Lord. Wow. What a challenge. Now, the funny thing is, when it comes to being rescued, there's an element of submission to that, isn't there? When you're being rescued, you do surrender your will to be rescued. Chris was sharing earlier this morning that his whole family was in, uh, were firefighters. Uh, and so I, I, I would laugh imagining if a firefighter came to try to rescue you and then pulling you out of a burning window, put you on his shoulders, and you're like, hey, you're doing this wrong. You're rescuing me wrong. Like, I don't want you to carry over my shoulders. I want you to hold me in your arms and just feel more secure that way. You know, like, can you imagine if that actually happened? I mean, it might. This is New York. This is New York. But can you imagine the the person being rescued making demands of the one rescuing them? So then, church, do we do that with Jesus? Do we have a tendency... When it comes to Jesus, to have an opinion about the way we want to be saved, the way we want to be rescued. In our text today, we actually see that Jesus' disciples are struggling with the same exact thing. Um, in our passage, the backstory story is that his disciples are basically completely uh, downtrodden because they had put so much hope in this person named Jesus. They spent the entire time Jesus was doing ministry together, and they really hoped, because their people had been enslaved and just uh, really put into um, situations where the government was oppressing them for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And finally, finally, Jesus was to come and deliver them and let them have their own nation once again. But Jesus doesn't do that. He actually does the complete opposite of that. He does the most shameful and embarrassing thing that you could do at the time and that is to lay down your life and not just in a simple way, but he's crucified. And so now his disciples are lost. They're so confused. And we jump into the text and we see that it is Jesus that comes back from the dead, not just once that he appears to the disciples, but twice to show them, hey, guys, I'm alive. You might have seen me die on the cross, but I actually rose again. Here I am. Thomas, touch my hands. This is real. And he continues to tell them, you think that my plan is over to rescue you and save you, but it's just beginning. Hold up. Hang on. Don't give up. And today, when we jump into our story, this is actually the third time Jesus appears to the disciples. So, knowing that, what do the disciples say in our passage of John? Our passage actually says that disciples do something really strange. They say, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. To which we think, good for them. Fishing's therapeutic, right? It's restful. They've had a stressful life, it's been hard on them. They should go fishing. Here's the thing, church, there's no such thing as recreational or leisurely fishing in ancient Israel. It was hard work. It was really hard work. They fished with nets. It was hundreds of feet long. The maintenance and the work they acquired to put it together took days. So when Peter and the disciples say, let's go fishing, he had to prepare. Like a day or more time to prepare to go fishing. So when he's saying let's go fishing, he's not saying I'm going fishing. He's saying I'm giving up. I give up. I am tired of waiting for Jesus to show up. I just don't understand what Jesus is doing. In fact, there has been no change since I started following Jesus. I give up. I give up trying to figure out what's going on. And I went to church, have we felt that way? Have we felt like we've just been waiting for a promise that we sing about, we hear about, and these messages, we still feel the same? Nothing's changed. In this moment, then, I ask, church, if you would reflect with me, are we missing something? Are we perhaps misunderstanding who Jesus is? Because remember, we confess that he's our savior, but he's also our Lord. And I wonder if the disciples in our story truly understand what it means to call him Lord. I I preach this sermon uh, because I confess to you that I struggle with this too. It is not easy to live a life that reflects Jesus as my Lord. In 2016, my wife and I moved back from Boston. I finished seminary there. Uh, We joined a church. Uh, I served there as a pastor for four and a half years. And during 2020, during the pandemic, uh, I had to make the really difficult decision to resign. Uh, A lot of different reasons, very painful situation. It was probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my life. It was horrific, horrific. Uh, I looked forward to taking a sabbatical from there, just a three-month break. And there are two things that I absolutely love in this world. Number one is eating. I love eating. Like any sort of food, I just eat it. And then the other thing I love is uh, actually, you might not tell, but I love exercising. (laughs) So (laughs) I love playing sports and I love going to the gym. And those two clearly go hand in hand. Um, So I started my sabbatical. And literally the first week of my sabbatical, I got really sick, like really, really sick. Uh, so much so I thought I had a heart attack. And so I got some testing done. Turns out I have a condition called a hiatal hernia, which means my stomach has just gotten so inflamed it lives inside of my chest now. So you can imagine how fun that is in general to live this condition. But my doctor basically told me, Jeff, you can't eat anything you loved before. Nothing spicy, nothing acidic, nothing fatty, nothing fried, limited carbs. Like, what do I eat? <laughs> right? And then on top of that, he said, you can't do any intense activities. No stress or strain on your chest or your upper body until this is, like, figured out. All right, church, you listening to me? The two things that I love the most during my sabbatical, my first week in, I can no longer do. Church, when I I tell you, because I'm saying this with a smile, I realize, I was upset. It's an understatement. I was really, really pissed. Not just at the situation, I was mad at God. You know what I was saying to him? I was like, God, I faithfully served this church for four and a half years. I sacrificed God for this, and this is how you pay me? This is the response? How are you going to let this happen to me? How are you going to do this? Thankfully, I was getting a lot of counseling. And uh, the couple that was counseling me, they were praying for me one morning. And as they were praying, the Lord brought to my attention this one memory I have. And it's with my My nephew. He was six years old at the time. My wife and I were babysitting, and I was playing a game with him. It was on my brother's Nintendo Switch. And we were playing, and then as we were playing, the game console actually shut off on me. I think the battery died, I'm just not sure, but just shut off. And my nephew just looks up at me and goes, Uncle Jeff, why did you turn it off? I said, Buddy, I would never do that. Like, I'm enjoying this time with you. I would never turn this off on you, as I'm trying to like, figure out how to turn this thing back on. My nephew just keeps pulling on my arm and says, Uncle Jeff, why would you turn it off? And I'm like, buddy, I promise, I didn't turn it off. And he's pulling on my arm, Uncle Jeff, Uncle Jeff, why'd you turn it off? Why'd you turn it off? And I realize, at that point, it didn't matter what I said. My nephew made up his mind. The conclusion was Uncle Jeff wanted to rob him of his joy. Mm. Mm. And it couldn't have been the furthest truth. (laughs) Because I love this kid. I love this kid. In that moment, God was like, you see how your nephew's reacting and how you're feeling? That's how I feel about you. So I said, okay, God, if that's true, then show me. Why am I sick? What am I supposed to learn from this? Church, didn't come right away. I won't lie to you. Uh, It took many months afterwards. A lot of work. There was a process involved of me getting counseling again, meeting with people, helping me process all my thoughts. But this is what I discovered through that process. Those two things that I really love to do, they are my ways of Resting, things I would do on my Sabbath away from ministry. During the pandemic, my eating habits were terrible because uh, I was working like 80 hours a week. I think every pastor, including Pastor Edwin, uh, I'm sure he was working like 100 hours a week during the pandemic. Uh, every pastor was working more because was trying to figure out everything else going on. And so I was just grabbing through whatever I could, the grossest stuff possible, and I was really devastated when I realized I was gaining weight. And that triggered in me not the desire to work out because I liked it, but because I felt like I needed to because I was embarrassed about how I was feeling and looking. And so what was happening was this guilt-shame cycle that was looping around in my life for a year or more. Again and again. So the two things I thought were giving me life were actually harming me. In fact, I was doing it so much that it triggered this condition along with the stress. And God was trying to say to me, Jeff, you need to find a new way to rest, especially as you go into a new season of ministry. See, God wasn't trying to cut things out of my life. He wasn't trying to just remove things to make me feel lost. He was literally trying to heal more than what I was asking. See, I was asking for physical healing, but Jesus, he was after the holistic healing. He didn't want to just heal my body, he wanted to heal my mind. Free me from any guilt and shame, the things I was repeating over and over again. Heal my soul to believe that I could trust him again, that he's been good to me. You see, the moment, the moment I surrendered my will and said, okay, God, the moment I said I believe you are also my Lord is when I really walked into the full power of the name of Jesus. And church, I don't share this to to boast in any way, and if it comes off that way, I apologize. I shared this because I confess to you that it's hard. It's really hard, and I don't claim to know your experience and what you're going through. I don't make that claim. But if you feel like Jesus is distant or even absent, let me assure you, he's not. He's not as far as you think. And the evidence is in the passage that we're even reading. You see, the disciples, they gave up. They went fishing. They went back to an old life that they knew that was comfortable. They, knew, they were experienced fishermen. So they thought they'd go back to the thing that would give them life again. They go, and what happens? They catch nothing. What they thought would give them life and joy again, they find disappointment, dissatisfaction. And then what happens? Jesus appears a third time. And they don't even know it's Jesus. Jesus says, Hey, did you cast the net only on one side? Throw it on the other side. Like, why would you not do that in the first place, guys? Right? They cast it on the other side, and they pull up a huge haul, and they realize well, they only just say Jesus and say, It's the Lord, they say. And Peter jumps into the water and swims, and the other disciples, who are probably smarter, rowed a boat to shore. And here we find. Perhaps my favorite image in all of scripture, this picture. The disciples show up. They're cold. They're hungry. They're tired. They're disappointed, exhausted from the work. And they find Jesus sitting by a warm fire. And and Jesus says to them, come and join me. Dry yourself. Warm yourself by the fire have some hot food, and come sit. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful invitation, even. And that's not all. Jesus actually turns and he says to them, go bring what you caught. And I want to draw our attention to that specific phrase. He says, go bring what you caught. Notice Jesus gives credit to disciples for catching what Jesus provided. Right? Like Jesus provided that, but go go bring what you caught. You know that you know what I see church when they turn around and the scripture says they caught 153 fish, right? You know what, I genuinely believe when the disciples turn around to get the fish, what they see is 153 reasons, 153 memories, 153 experiences, even if they don't believe, 153 stories that other people have told about Jesus, that he is real, and that his power is real, and he is worth every moment where we give his trust to, because he's never let them down before. Every moment, he's always provided for them. Every step of the way when they were together. And he doesn't do it just because he's God. He doesn't just do it because he's the Lord of power and authority. He does it because he loves them. Church, like a parent that tells a child not to touch the hot stove, they don't do it because they're lording over them, their power. They're doing it because they know better than the child. Likewise, Jesus is inviting disciples, come, sit. Let me share a little bit about my side of the story. And if you genuinely believe, church, I wonder if that invitation is here for us today. I just want to share, I still have this condition. Like, I haven't been magically or miraculously healed. It's been two years now. Uh, But I haven't felt the sense of loss. Yes, I've had to make changes in my life. But everything that I thought I would lose because of my condition has really been mitigated by the fact that I, I realize now that my relationship with Jesus is just continually growing the more I submit to his will, and that he just constantly knows better. I've never been happier. I mean, I wish I could not eat so poorly and work out more, but nonetheless, (laughs) I'm satisfied. And I'm not just normally satisfied. I'm deeply satisfied to my soul in which I can still stand here and long to do ministry. I long to encourage each and one of you, church, that this morning there is an invitation for all of us. That when we look back, even when we struggle, what we're feeling this morning, when we look back, are there 153 fish behind us that remind us of the reasons why Jesus still loves you? Don't give up. Don't give up because Jesus doesn't give up on you. The songs we were singing earlier today, Jesus is chasing you. Remember that name in the beginning of the sermon, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what it means, church. When we fully experience the gospel in the name of Jesus, we realize that Jesus is constantly pursuing us. So even if you feel like you're giving up, Even when it's hard to submit your will, church, turn around. Don't think there's this chasm between you and Jesus. He's right there. I just want to take the next two, three minutes. I want to invite us to do this exercise together like you guys prayed for two minutes. I want us to reflect. I want to invite us to this picture that we have in Scripture here. So I just invite you to close your eyes. Everything that you are experiencing, your circumstances, how you're feeling, the pain, the suffering, the emotions, I want you to hold on to them in your mind. Now, I want you to imagine this charcoal fire with Jesus there. And for a warm meal. He says to you, my child, come, sit, join me. And now Jesus says, bring me what you have.